Welcome to the study of God's Word with pastor and author Ed Taylor, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at calvaryaurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now, here's Pastor Ed to take us into our study. Amen. Amen. Take your Bibles, open them to Hebrews chapter 12. Would you? Hebrews chapter 12, we're going to pick up in verse 25 where we left off last time in a Bible study that I've entitled, Don't Refuse the Word of God. Or you could also say, Don't Resist the Word of God. Don't refuse it. That's how chapter 12, verse 25 starts out, right in the very beginning. He says, See that you do not refuse him who speaks. Don't refuse his word and don't refuse him. Because it is possible for men and women, boys and girls, to refuse him who speaks, to resist the word of God in their lives. Now hold your place in chapter 12. Go back to chapter 1 and let's remember how the book of Hebrews begins. Written to a group of Jewish Christians under great strife, under great persecution, so much so that they're thinking about abandoning Christianity, walking away from Jesus. So Paul, I believe the author, takes his pen in hand and notice how he starts out the letter. Verse 1 of chapter 1. God, who at various times and in different ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. To this group of suffering believers, the word of God to them is the same word of God to us. The central focus of Hebrews and the Bible itself is God and his voice and his word. There's no attempt to prove his existence because there's no need. God exists and we're his creation. You know, along the years, there's been a lot of voices trying to replace God. You know, you think of the voice of evolution or atheism or agnosticism or false religions of all types, but none of them represent God. None of them are the voice of God. Evolution's the voice of man, atheism, the voice of man, agnosticism, false religions. No, in, time, in tough times, we need to be reminded that there is a singular voice to pay attention to, and that's the voice of God. God speaks, and we would do well to listen and to respond. Or now, as we see in verse 25, as Paul is winding the letter down, and as he's coming to the conclusion, and he's explained all of the things of the superiority of Jesus. Don't go away. He's the fulfillment of the law. All that you need. And as he winds down, he's like these little strong encouragement and exhortations. He says, look, see that you don't refuse him who speaks. He's the genesis. He's the author and finisher of your faith. Don't refuse him or his word. Can I just say it's a good thing that God chose to reveal himself to us because we would never be able to know God unless he told us about himself. It was a good thing that he gave us his word. The main message from God to man requires God to reveal himself, to show himself to us. Men and women by ourselves cannot figure out God. We have these walls around us known as time and space. 
It's like we're in a box, if you will, and God must invade our lives and reveal himself so that we might respond. God being in the supernatural, we being in the natural, there needs to be a bridge between us. And as we learned last time, remember, there's one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. He's the final word of God. He's not a bridge. He is the bridge to God. From his own lips, Jesus would declare that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through him. And so God has revealed himself, and we're grateful for that. Yet the truth as it goes forward can be resisted. It can be ignored. You can jot it down, but in Romans chapter 1, towards the end there, or maybe towards the middle of the chapter, Paul talks about a group of people, and he says it this way, who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. And those that suppress the truth, that tells us that they've heard it, that they know it, that they understand it, and desire now not to follow it by suppressing it in their own unrighteous behavior. Of course, in Romans, he's speaking about unbelievers, but by way of application, I've seen believer follower after Christ do this many times, suppressing the truth and choosing unrighteousness instead. One of the greatest temptations when times are tough is to refuse the word of God. One of the greatest temptations when you're ready to walk away, go back to the bottle, go back to the party scene, maybe you're, you know, you're just like, oh, I don't believe any of this anymore, and I'm right, it's too hard, too difficult, it's not what is promised. One of the greatest temptations in times like that is just to ignore God's word. The word that you've received, the word that you've heard. And so what does he say? Don't refuse. It's like, it's like he's, he's getting right into your eyes, right into your face, and he's saying, look, This is what you need. See to it that you don't refuse him who speaks to you. And then he takes us back to an illustration uh, that he's used before in verse 25. He says, for if they did not escape who refused him, who spoke on earth, much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven, whose voice then shook the earth. But now he's promising yet once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also heaven. Now this, verse 27, yet once more indicates the removal of those things that are being shaken as of things that are made, that the things which cannot be shaken may remain. I think this is such a great illustration to use with the Hebrew believers because their whole life's been shaken. They've been shaken to the core. And and I think it's a great, really a great place in the text to be for us as a congregation right here, right now, Because in the last year or so, we have been shaken. We have been shaken in many different ways. And I think that that man, we have a tendency to give man too much credit and to give governments too much credit, maybe even to give the enemy of our souls too much credit because God is sovereign and he is over all of this shaking that's going on. He's allowed things into our lives to shake those things that are not eternal so that we might let go of them and walk away from them instead of trying to cling so much to what's comfortable and easy, instead saying, no, things are going to be shaken. And Jesus makes the same, he uses the same illustration that everything that can be shaken will be shaken. Why? So that that which is important, or even here, that which is eternal will be seen. And our allegiance will be given to God. There is 
the temptation to resist God's word, like in verse 25, they didn't escape. They didn't escape those who refused him, who spoke on earth. They didn't escape. And you say, well, escape what? Well, they didn't escape the consequences of disobedience. They didn't get to enter into the promised land. They didn't enjoy the promises of God because they chose not to receive him in the human realm who was speaking on behalf of God. How much more now we don't refuse Jesus who speaks now as the final word from God. They, they missed out on the promises of God. They missed out on joy of life. A whole generation died in the wilderness. Why? Because they refused to listen and receive and obey God's word. And we think today, how much more now will we not escape? And we'll say, Ed, what are we not going to escape? Well, if you refuse to receive and respond to the word of God, you will not escape the consequences of that decision. You know, the Bible is very clear that what we sow, and he uses the illustration of a farmer just throwing out seed. You know, when a farmer throws out seed, he's going to reap a harvest of what he sowed. And there were two things that were given to us in the scriptures. You sow to the spirit, obedience, receiving God's word, obeying him, living in the spirit, then you're going to reap everlasting life. You're going to enjoy life both here and now. But, but if you sow to the flesh, you're going to reap corruption. There are consequences to our decisions. You can't just go through life and go, well, you know, I'm a Christian. I go to church and, and yet you don't receive God's word. You don't obey God's word. It doesn't make any difference in your life. Do you not think that's not, you're not going to pay a price for that? Do you not think it's not going to catch up with you? Do you not think that you can go your whole life, own a Bible, be in church, never obey it, that that's not going to have some kind of consequences in your life? Listen, the Bible says you won't escape it. You, it will hurt you and harm you. Today, if you have no relationship with God, the pain that you'll experience, the pain that you'll experience is you will live eternally separate from God. And I reject wholeheartedly the teaching and the doctrine that comes to us primarily through Reformed theology that says God's grace is irresistible. God's grace is not irresistible. I watch people every single day resist the grace of God and reject the word of God and walk away from God. Like the reality of God's love to you is not going to be given to you against your will. You want to match the grace of God with your choice to repent of your sins, not live in them. And so he says in the tough times, in the times that we're in, don't give too much credit to people that are on earth because all the shakings going on, this stuff's not going to last. As a matter of fact, turn over to 2 Peter. Let me show you. Second Peter's. I mean, this phrase, it just sticks in my mind. See that you don't refuse. Like, like he's already talked about looking unto Jesus. They give me that illustration of eyes. He says, see that you don't refuse him who speaks. There's always a price to pay when we refuse the word of God. Always a price to pay. Because there's a shaking going on so that what's temporary will be replaced with that which is eternal. Notice with me, verse 10, Second Peter. Such a great passage of scripture, a reminder from Peter, a very different perspective of the same situation. Notice verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, all of the temporary problems all of the difficulties, everything you're living in right now, the earth and heaven, since all these will be dissolved, here's the question of the day. 
the question of the month, of the hour, of the year. Here's the question. Because things that are temporary are going away, replaced with the eternal, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? Looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for the new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. What type of person are we to be? You notice back in Hebrews chapter 12, it says, Now this yet once more indicates the removal of those things that are being shaken as of things that are made, so that the things which cannot be shaken may remain. And therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom, new heaven, new earth, which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear, for our God is a consuming fire. What kind of people are we to be in tough times? But those that hear and respond to the word of God, those that live by the grace of God, those that look for a city whose builder and maker is God. That's what Abraham did. Remember, as we were studying through the hall of faith, he lived his whole life looking for that city whose builder and maker was God. Looking for that day when every tear will be wiped away, where every wrong will be made right, where every question that you have will be answered in the presence of Jesus Christ. A kingdom that can't be shaken. So much today can be shaken. You experience it especially when you start putting your trust in man. And you begin to trust in systems instead of trusting in the word of God. We all do this. Every single one of us. This is especially a temptation when things are going, when when things are falling apart around us, when the shaking, you know, when you think about it, the whole world's being shaken. And it's easy to say that. It's easy to say the whole world's being shaken. The whole world's being upside down. It's very hard when it's your house and it's your life and it's your marriage and it's your health, and it's your singleness, and it's your loneliness, and it's your prodigal kids. That's a different story. But things are being shaken. It's a, not just a global phenomenon, it's happening in our lives. And it's going to happen until the day we inherit the kingdom, where God is allowing things to be shaken so that our trust may be built in Him, and that we would look to Him and not to man, that we would trust Him, that we would look forward to the heavenly kingdom and we would live like it right now. What kind of people should we be? We should be people of grace, making a difference in this world, being the church on the highways and byways of life. That our lives built upon the rock, not upon the sand, but our lives built upon the rock. We too won't be shaken. We'll be able to get through anything by the grace of God. That in his weakness, we'll learn that his strength is made perfect. And that the things that we didn't need, we didn't need. And we live by faith in the God who died for us. We are receiving, it says, verse 28, we are receiving. Because the kingdom is ours and it can't be shaken, then let's move forward in grace so that we can serve God acceptably. Remember in Romans chapter 12, we learned that we're to give ourselves a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. There is an acceptable service to God, and there is an unacceptable service to God. 
And the key is the motivation. You know, God wants you to be motivated by his great love for you. To be reminded of how far you've come. I was praying with a brother earlier. And, and as I was praying for him, he says, well, you know, the Lord just told me to come up and have you pray for me. And I said, okay, let's pray. And as I was praying, the Lord impressed upon me to remind him and, and ask God to remind him of just how far he's come. Because it's easy to forget how far you've come. Because you're caught up in your daily failures and you're caught up in your daily issues and you're caught up in your daily difficulties and forget, man, look how far God has brought you. Look what, remember what he delivered you from. Remember when you were sinking in sin. Remember when there was no hope for you. Remember when everyone gave up on you. God did not give up on you. And here you are following him today. See that you don't refuse the word. Go all the way. Continue on forward. Don't give up. Don't quit. That's the message to Hebrews. And that's the message to us. Now, before we end here, I want you to go back and emphasize with me verse 25, the first part. See that you do not refuse him who speaks. I like that. I like that reminder. I'm encouraged of that reminder to hear the word and obey it. Because hearing God's word and obeying it is essential to your steady, ongoing progress in your relationship with Jesus Christ. Seven different times in the book of Revelation, seven different times, Jesus tells seven different churches a similar thing, like he does in verse seven of Revelation two. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who has an ear, let him hear. He who has an ear, listen closely. He who has an ear, receive the word of God. This is an important thing to pause on because we're living in a time, unlike any other time, unprecedented, where so many voices and so many opinions and so many attitudes and so much judgment wants our attention and wants our loyalty and wants our commitment. Just so many voices. Everybody's got an opinion on this and an opinion on that. And, and then you clicking on this thing and it's a brand new teaching here. And you got everybody saying this and posting that. There's just so many voices. How do we know which voice is for us? Well, we know which voice is for us because the final word of God didn't come from some YouTube video. It didn't come from a pulpit. The final word of God came through Jesus Christ. It's his voice you need to learn and train your ears. You need to train your ears to say no to the lies and yes to the truth. In this atmosphere, I like to think of it as atmosphere, like in the room right now. This is the atmosphere of our room. Well, the atmosphere of our culture is so filled with these opinions and attitudes and judgments. Which ones do we receive? Which ones do we hold on to? For the Hebrews, it was so vital for them to keep their attention on the all-sufficient one, Jesus Christ, and his voice. Learn how to hear from him. I can tell you for me personally, in this last year, God is revealing a fresh new grasp of the words of Jesus personally. I've been enjoying this new revelations of, of old standard truths in my life, like new applications, I should say, you know, the, the one where Jesus says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and all these things will be out and his righteousness, all these things have been out. God has given me a brand new nuance to that. 
especially because uh, I, had, I had memorized it in its own, con- you know, just the verse, but, but going back to it and remembering where it is. Do you know that verse is in the midst of Jesus encouraging us not to be worried about stuff? It's actually an antidote to worry and anxiety, to seek him first. And, and the simplicity of it, one of the ways that God has revealed that to me too is that during this time with all conspiracy theories and all that, a lot of the questions have to, be, have to do, a lot of the pastoral questions that come my way have some, some attitude or element of, you know, what happens if? And what are we going to do when? And the Lord has really made it simple for me. It's like, hey, I don't know what we're going to do when. The Bible tells me not to worry about tomorrow. I don't deal in hypotheticals. I'm living right now. So let's be faithful right now. Let's do what God's called me to do right now. Because Jesus said, today we have enough stuff to worry about. Today has its own issues. We'll get to tomorrow if he gives us tomorrow. So let's not let hypotheticals paralyze us in being obedient in the moment. And God's just revealed. That's a simple truth. That's not anything new. That's been in the Bible since I've been a new believer. And guess what? It was in the Bible before I was a new believer. It's the teaching of Jesus. And he wants to reveal himself to you. So you can train, you can learn to be, you can learn and train yourself to hear him. Because he is speaking. And he wants to speak. So let me give you an illustration of this. Turn back to 1 Samuel chapter 3. 1 Samuel chapter 3. Jesus is our only mediator. And he's the one that's going to bridge between you and God, between me and God. I come to God through Jesus. And here in 1 Samuel, we see a young boy who's living in the temple. Samuel's a a neat story because Hannah was desperate to have a child. So she's praying, praying, praying. God finally opens her womb. But the commitment she made says, if you give me a child, God, I will give him back to you. So you know what she did? She took him to the temple and gave him to God and left him there. Now don't do that. You guys don't do that here. You go home, you go downstairs, get your kids and take them with you. You know, on the baby dedications, we'll have you. I'll hold them for a little bit, but then you take them right back. But it was a special occasion. Not only that, Samuel was left to the temple as a dedication to God. She fulfilled her vow. Not only that, he was under the leadership of Eli, as you'll see in a moment. And Eli was a bad leader, a corrupt priest. He was corrupt in the temple. He was also, you know, the reason you get corrupt in the temple is because you're corrupt at home. It's the same today. That's why in 1 Timothy chapter 3, the Bible says that a leader, a pastor, an elder, and I think by application, a good believer, rules his own house well. You can't be two different people. You can't be one thing in house and another thing in the house of God. There's a word for that. You know what it is? Hypocrisy. There's a hypocrisy. You want to live in the light, allowing the Holy Spirit to use your life. So here, pick up with that in mind. Pick up in verse 1 because it's a fascinating, fascinating true story. Verse 1. Then the boy, he's about 8 or 9 right now. This is an 8 or 9 year old. We don't know for sure, but that's what commentator suggests. Then the boy Samuel ministered to the Lord before Eli. And the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no widespread revelation. Let me just say one of the reasons why the word of God was rare in that day is because Eli and his sons were corrupt leaders and they were the primary, they were the primary tools that God used to get the word of God out. 
And when the leaders get distracted and when the leaders aren't walking with the Lord, then the word becomes rare. That's one of the reasons why many people today are, are not re- receiving the word. They're resisting the word of God primarily because they're not receiving it. Because pulpits around the world are filled with people that kind of give these pithy statements. You know, maybe uh, the Bible studies become a TED talk or some emotional thing and nobody's giving you the word of God. You need the word of God so that you might receive it. You don't need to be afraid of the word of God. And listen, if you're a pastor listening to me right now and you have not committed to teach the Bible, go back to the Bible. You don't need to be afraid of what's going to happen when you teach the Bible. You know, I've talked to guys, well, you know, Ed, you don't understand. If I start teaching the Bible, the people will leave. Don't worry about it. Let the Lord deal with that. Because a lot of people won't leave because they want to hear the truth. It's hard, I know. It's difficult. It's like I stand here like, man, can, Lord, can I just give a nice, warm, and fuzzy message today? Hey, Calvary, God loves you. Let's close in prayer. I mean, that would be true. But God's love comes from a holy God. You want to enjoy God's love? Live in a relationship with him. You want to enjoy life? You want to be filled with joy? You, you want to have every good gift from above? Then understand that there's a way to live that pleases God. There's an acceptable way to serve God. And there's also a way to live that doesn't please God and is unacceptable. So don't veer away from God's word. But one of the reasons why is because leaders aren't teaching it. And Eli, Samuel, is in one of these situations where that's the case, which also encourages me that God is going to take care of his kids, no matter what kind of situation they're in. God is going to take care of his kids. He loves kids. Kids are the example that Jesus gives of how our attitudes are to be to enter into the kingdom of God, to inherit the kingdom. We're not to be childish, but we're to be childlike. Kids are amazing. I love kids. I love it when I get the chance to go downstairs and walk the halls in the academy or come in into the before care and just check in on the kids. I love it when kids come up after the service. I love to get down and make eye contact with them, check in on their lives, what's happening in their life. There's just a purity and innocence among our kids. And in that purity and innocence, as you'll see in a moment, there's also a hypersensitivity to the voice of God. That's what's missing in our lives. We get old and we, we, become, this, we become people that like, don't think we need to hear God anymore and think we got it all figured out. And, and now we, you know, that's for the kids. They can stay sensitive, but you know, I already know that. And, and you know, you might be here in a Bible study go, well, I already knew that. I already knew that. Really? Did you already know that? Did you really already know that? How did it affect your life? Well, what do you mean? I guess you don't know that then, do you? Because God's wanting to move in your life. Let me show you something. Hold on real quick. Go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 8. I just think this is a word from the Lord that that you got to understand knowledge. Knowledge can really become a barrier from you hearing from the Lord. Now, knowledge is good in and of itself. It's It's not knowledge that's the issue, but check this out. This is a warning for those of you that love knowledge, maybe even more than you love God. Like your your time is more with the Bible than it is the author right? The Bible, the book is supposed to get you to the author. You don't, you know, here at Calvary, we teach the Bible verse by verse, but we don't worship the Bible. We worship God. He's the author. Every time we go through the word, we're learning at characteristics of God. We're not here for knowledge sake. We're here for action and application. So here's the warning, verse one of chapter eight, first Corinthians. Here's the warning. Now concerning things offered to idols, we know that we all have knowledge Knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. 
And if anyone thinks he knows anything, he knows nothing yet as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, this one is known by him. You know, the key with knowledge is to be known by God, to have a relationship with him. You don't want to find yourself in the final judgment where Jesus will look to you as he will to a group of people and say, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. Why? Because I never knew you. Love is the key. In all the knowledge that you might gain, it needs to be tempered by love. That's why Samuel, Samuel's in a position where he's a kiddo, so he doesn't have a lot of knowledge to lean back on. He's sensitive to the voice, even though he he isn't fully in that place of maturity yet, as you'll see in a moment. Look at verse 2, back in 1 Samuel 3. And it came to pass at that time, while Eli was lying down in his place, and when his eyes had begun to grow so dim that he couldn't see, And before the lamp of God went out in the tabernacle of the Lord, where the ark of God was, and while Samuel was lying down to sleep, that the Lord called Samuel and he answered, here I am. So he ran to Eli and said, here I am for you called me. And he said, I didn't call, lie down again. And he went and lay down, verse six. And the Lord called yet again, Samuel. So Samuel rose and went to Eli and said, here I am for you called me. And he answered, I did not call my son, lie down again. Now Samuel didn't yet know the Lord, nor was the word of the Lord yet revealed to him. And the Lord called Samuel again a third time. And he arose and went to Eli and said, here I am, for you did call me. And then Eli perceived that the Lord had called the boy. So Eli said to Samuel, go lie down and it shall be if he calls you that you must say, speak Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. I mean, this is the spiritual leader of the day, and it takes him three times to discern what God was doing in young Samuel's life. Three times. Now, some of you might be a three-timer yourself. It takes three times for the Lord to get, to get into you. Three times for you to receive from the Lord. The good news is, if it takes three times, God will do three times. He'll, he'll do whatever it takes. He's the God of the second chance, the third chance. He will get to you However many times it requires. That's how faithful God is. For Eli, Samuel needed strong spiritual leadership. Eli didn't give it to him, but God gave it to him. And here he is. Samuel, here's what's happening. You're so sensitive to, vo- to that voice. That voice is God. So you go back down. You lay down. And the next time you hear it, I want you to answer. Here I am. Speak to me. Or it says, speak, Lord, for your servant hears. You may want to mark that in your own life where it becomes a habit of your life. When you open the Bible, speak, Lord, for your servant hears. When you come to a Bible study, speak, Lord, for your servant hears. When you turn on the radio, speak, Lord, for your servant. Like when you experience life to be open to the voice of the Lord. We know that God speaks. The question is, are we tuning in? That's the real question. Are we tuning in? Are we able to receive and understand his word? It's like those gathered, it's like you guys here today. You gathered online. Tune in on the radio. Right here, right now, there are many voices in this room. You know, some of the voices are, are just inside of your head. 
where you've been distracted and you're thinking about other things. And instead of paying attention or focusing, you got other things on your mind. Some of them are for real good reason. You got a lot of difficulties right now. You got a lot of, and so you're thinking about this and you're worried about that. You got voices just going through of, of how you're speaking and what you're thinking about. But there's also just in the atmosphere of this room, all kinds of voices, all kinds of music, all kinds of images right now here in this room. And if we were to take the proper tuner, like for example, if we brought a radio in here and we started tuning the dial on each of the numbers, we'd hear different voices because they're all here right now. And even as you make that choice in your car on your way into the office, whether you're Sirius XM or you're looking, listening to FM or you're putting on music from your iPhone or whatever, you're tuning in because there's something specific you want to hear. Well, that same attitude needs to be toward the things of God. That you would tune yourself to hear the word of God and what he wants to say. Now, there are two words in the Greek language that are used to describe the word of God. The first one is the word logos or logos. And that usually refers to the written word of God, to what has been written. And let me just say, when you receive a word from God or a direction, God is not writing new chapters in the Bible today. According to Jude chapter 1 verse 3, there's only one chapter in Jude. The Bible says of itself that the faith has once for all been delivered to the saints. So don't let anyone come to you and say, oh, I have a New Testament. I have a hidden book. We have the lost books of the Bible. There's no such thing. The Bible is delivered and it is finished and it is complete. It is God's final testimony, his final word, and it is worthy of your time and attention to base your life on the word of God. It is the rock representing the voice of God to us today. So he's not writing new scripture. But what he is, is he's taking the scriptures, and here's the second word that's used to describe uh, the word of God in the New Testament, and that is the rhema word, R-H-E-M-A. And and a rhema word from God has more to do to speaking his truth to a situation or a specific event and time. Like it's a word for today. It's a word for your life. And what happens as the logos or the logos is being taught in a room like this, even here, and as it goes out on the radio and it'll air, you know, maybe a year or two from now on the radio, the, as you walk away from it, you go, man, that was for me. Man, that was for me. And yet you have so many backgrounds here, so many situations here where God can take his word as it's written and as it goes forth in teaching by the Holy Spirit, it hits you differently, hits you differently, hits you differently. Some of you got it now. Some of you get it a week later and just boom, because the Lord, his, the Bible says that his word is alive and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. No other book gives you the kind of life that the Bible gives you. And so we receive the word of God as we tune in into the spiritual realm. Eli, being a professional priest by now, he has lost the ability to hear the voice of the Lord. But not Samuel. Samuel's super sensitive because he's living a simple life like kids do. Kids live a simple life. You get jealous of them sometimes, right? They're not, they're not worrying about clothes on their backs. They're not worried about food on the table. But let me pause there for a second and just say this, though. There is a group of kids that do. We talked last week about foster care system, kids in the orphanages, even a lot of the homeless population are kids. And so I'm saying for us in general, 
kids, they just depend on their parents. Their parents take care of them. They're not worried. They're not concerned. I mean, they might sometimes feed off of your worry and concern. But if you're not worried or concerned, they're not worried or concerned because they know you're going to take care of them. There's just a simplicity about them. And if your kids come up after a service and I get to talk to them and get down on their level, let me tell you this. If I ask your kids eye to eye, hey, do you want to meet? Can I read a Bible verse to you? They'd say, sure, read it. It happened last night. There's some kids coming up and I was down after praying with people and we're talking about things and the parents are standing with the kids there and I'm down on my knees talking to them because they happened to be super short last night. So they were right there and I was on my knees and I turned around and I said, can I, you guys want to hear a Bible verse? And all of them, there was like four kids. They said, yes, yes. So I opened up my Bible. I let them read it. I did it with my finger here and I started reading John 3:16. but I didn't tell them where it was. I said, for God so loved the world. And I shared the gospel with them. I said, God wants you to be in relationship with him. He loves loves you. And I said, does anybody know where that is, where that verse is in the Bible? And one of the girls says, yes, I know, John 3, 16. They didn't have any problem receiving from me. They were attentive, focused. They, they were quiet. But you and me, at times we have a hard time receiving the simple word of God. We have a hard time receiving the love of God. We have a hard time tuning in. I mean, even to some, some degree where we just resist it. We, we just fight it. We, we just say, no, I don't want it in my life. I want something else. Samuel went back with direction now. And parents, your kids, they want to hear the word of God from you. They will receive it from you. Oh, they may not be as nice to you as they are to me. That's your problem, not mine. <laughs> I've already raised my kids. <laughs> And you know, you get those reports back. I remember those days you get the reports back from Sunday school. Oh, so-and-so is such a great kid, such a great kid. And I'd go home with Maria and go, man, why aren't they like that at home? Because they're kids. And parents, there's a simplicity in your child that even if they don't give you the right answers to the quizzes, you know, you might, you might read the Bible and go, okay, here's the question. And you ask them the question, well, what, where, what did, who was up in the tree? And, and, the, and you're looking, you're waiting to, to hear Lazarus up in the tree or Zacchaeus, I mean, up in the tree. And the answer is Jesus. Everything, everything you ask them, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. You're going, no, you're not learning it. Ah, calm down. Because your kids are receiving the word. And it's taking root in their hearts. And they don't have to be, you're not raising kids to take Bible quizzes. You're raising kids to love Jesus. And along the way, we don't want to impose on them our adultness so that they can hear the word of the Lord. At least even in his corruptness, Eli gave a good word. And that encourages me. Notice verse 10 now. The Lord came and stood and called at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel answered just what he was told. Speak for your servant hears. And then the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I'll do something in Israel at which both ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. In that day I'll perform against Eli all that I've spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. For I have told him that I will judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knows, because his sons made themselves vile, and he did not restrain them. And therefore I have sworn to the house of Eli, that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. And that was a heavy word to receive. Samuel laid down till morning, opened the doors of the house of the Lord, and Samuel was afraid to tell Eli the vision. 
And Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son. And he answered, here I am. And this is a little insight of how bad Eli really was. Notice what happens. He said, what is the thing that the Lord has said to you? Please do not hide it from me. Look at the guilt trip. And you know, little Sam is already afraid. You could probably see it on his face, see it in his eyes. Look what Eli does. God do so to you and more also if you hide anything from me of all the things that he said to you. What a creep, man. You know, whatever you heard, if you don't tell me right now, you're going to get double what? It's like, come on, man. Be sensitive to the kiddos. Be careful. Take care of them. And Samuel told him, it says everything, and hid nothing from him. And he said, it's the Lord. Let him do what seems good. I mean, Eli wouldn't even repent. He could have repented here. The very next phrase could have said, I have failed. I failed as a dad. I failed as a priest. God, please forgive me. Please show mercy. Please, instead, eh, whatever. I'll deal with it. Here he is, Eli, refusing the word of God. But not little Samuel. He took it all in and delivered it as was necessary. So before we leave here, let me just ask and, ask and answer the question, help you answer the question. How do I know if something really is from God? Like, how do I know? How do I know if, if a message or a word or something is from God? Because God does speak today for sure. And he does use different ways, visions, dreams. He gives us an impression. He may make a scripture come alive. He may send a message through a friend, through an email, through a text. He, he may send an encourager. We know that God's not writing any new scripture, but he is still moving on the earth today. So how does he speak? Well, he speaks primarily through the Bible, the word of God. And he causes the word of God to spark afresh in our hearts as we read it and receive it and respond. You know, hearing from God is not as solid as some might think because I've met many, many people that have made many, many bad decisions, but their response was, well, I have a peace about it. I have a peace about it. A lot of people hide behind that, where they're making a very sinful, unbiblical decision, but then when you talk to them about, oh, no, I have a peace about it. Listen, that peace that you feel is not from the Lord when you're choosing to sin. It's just a justification you've wrapped around your behavior. That's all that is. And so just saying, oh, I have a peace about it, it's really a dangerous place because you're resisting the word, you're quenching the Holy Spirit, and you're, gonna about, you're about to make a very bad decision that you will not escape the consequences. Now, God may be gracious and merciful, and it may not be as bad as, as you think, but listen, you don't, don't, come to, don't, don't come to that place where I have a peace about it. Like, God's not going to give you a peace about having adultery. You will never have a peace about that. You will never have a peace about stealing. You will never have a peace about lying. You will never have a peace about slandering and gossiping and destroying a person. You'll never, you can say you have a peace. You can say you're doing the work of God, but you're not. You go, Ed, well, how do I know then? If what I'm hearing or where I'm being led, how do I know it's truly from God? I'm glad you asked. Number one, here are some things to consider. Number one, first of all, the Bible is the final test of whether something's from God or not. The Bible, not the pastor, not the video. The Bible, you, the Bible, and the Holy Spirit. That's the final word. You're not going to be able to use Pastor Ed as an excuse in heaven. 
It's not going to be possible. You can't, you, you make a bad decision and, and you go, well, well, I heard that guy on the radio. It was that guy on the radio. And God says, Ed? Yeah, it was Ed. I got on the radio. And God says, you can't use Ed as an excuse. That was your decision. Yeah, but pastor said, no, no. And I watched that video. No, no. What does the word of God say? You want to be a man or a woman of God's word. And I know there are some difficult things in the Bible. I understand. I, my, my life is devoted to studying the Bible and presenting it in such a way it can be understood. I totally get there are a lot of difficulties in the Bible. But you've got to learn to set aside the things you don't understand and focus on the things you do understand until God gives you further understanding. <laughs> and so the Bible is the final word. Something from God will never contradict his word. And before you conclude something's from God, test it by the word. Remember there was a group of believers, you Bible students know, there was a group of believers in the book of Acts in the city of Berea. So much so that we refer to someone that loves God's word and checks it out as Bereans. That's where that phrase comes from. You can jot it down in Acts chapter 17 in verse 11. It says this. These were four more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness. And they searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. What this is saying is, Paul would come to Berea, he taught the Bible, they received it, but then they tested it by the word. They tested Paul the apostle. Do you know Paul the apostle came here today and said, I have a word from the Lord. I'm sitting down right there and taking notes. But not to the point of not testing what the brother says by the word. Because that's what a Berean does. So whether you get a word from someone or you get an impression, you want to make sure it doesn't contradict the word. Number two, how do I know it's a word from the Lord? Number two, we need to remain flexible and open to the Holy Spirit. God dwells in you, born-again believer. God dwells in you. The Holy Spirit of God lives inside of you. You are sealed and empowered by the Holy Spirit. And we need to remain flexible and open even to receive a word. To tune in. What I mean by this is we can never really fully 100% trust our own ability to hear from God accurately 100% of the time. We're humans. We're fraught with weaknesses and failures. So instead of speaking like we know everything and we have every answer and we're 100% sure, it's better to leave room for the Holy Spirit to give us clarity on what we've heard or what, like, like for instance, Taking a step of faith, if, it's, if it doesn't contradict the word, the next step might be taking a step of faith. I'm just stepping out and testing the Lord. So I think this is from the Lord. And I'll, let's just do it on a real simple thing. Don't think about taking a step of faith and moving around the country as a missionary. Let's do something real simple. You're there having breakfast. You've done your devos. You've got a little bit of time. You're just eating your cereal. Ready to, and you get this impression to share your devos with a friend. Just send a text message. And you're like, well, doesn't really seem to contradict the Bible to encourage someone to send a scripture. But I don't know. Maybe it's just me. Maybe it's just me. Maybe I'm just overexcited. And I don't know. What, what would they think if I sent it? I don't know if it's from God. I guess I won't send it. And then Cheerios are back in, you know. No, instead, it doesn't contradict the word. Why don't you just send the text and leave it in the Lord's hands? And who knows? They might write back to you. Why in the world? Leave me alone. I don't want you. Okay, great. Wasn't from the Lord. 
Well, maybe it was. You never know. Or maybe you don't get any response. You go, oh, yeah, I'll go to work. And then later in the day at 5 p.m., you get a text. Thank you so much for texting me this morning because I really needed it today. Just take the step of faith. Here's what happens. So many of us are absolutely terrified of failing and looking dumb and foolish. So we don't do anything. (laughs) It's like, oh, no, I don't know. I want it to be 100%. I need to know. So we never do anything. We're so afraid of failure that we choose not to make any choice, which is the wrong choice. So you're so afraid of failing that you say, well, you know what? I'm not going to make a choice at all because I don't want to fail. But that is actually a bad choice to not make a choice at all because God's giving you that inspiration. Just go ahead and do it. Share it. Go there. Show up there. Give that away. Whatever it is that he's sharing with you. You don't need to be afraid of failure because, and I was, uh, I was listening to the radio the other day and one of the brothers had shared this quote um, from Timothy Keller. And it was so good because he said something like this. He said, it's not the exact quote, but he said something like, um, if, if we really believe that God is sovereign, and that means in control of all things, and we do, 100%, then we also have to make room that in God's sovereignty, he may lead us to failure so that we can learn from failure to trust him. So we have this mindset that everything's success, 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 success. If I'm going to participate, I want to win. I want a gold medal. I want first place. Sometimes God will have us fall on our face and actually be in it so that we would learn from failure. The world, our culture understands this. Because I'm sure you've heard before uh, this phrase that you learn more from your failures than you do from your successes. They understand this principle. It's a godly, biblical principle. So number two, hey man, be open and flexible and take a step of faith. If it doesn't contradict the Bible, number one, then it may just mean you act on it, number two. And then finally, number three, How do I know something's from the Lord? Number three, be careful not to lean on your own understanding, trying to figure things out. Be careful. Because these all really tie together. God does want to lead you. God does want to guide you. God does want to give you faith steps so you can walk in them. Even if they're what you perceive as a success or a failure, God is in them all. He's working all things together for the good. He wants you not to lean on your own understanding and your own mind and your own knowledge. He wants us to lean on Him through the thick and the thin. As if it's, you live life sometimes like it's all on you. It's not all on you. It's all on God. You belong to Him. That's why it's foolish to refuse His word. It's foolish to refuse Him. It's foolish to disobey. It's better just to be like those kiddos and go, wait, what's for lunch? They're not worried about what their career is. They just want lunch, man. Give me my chicken nuggets. And then they get all attitude. Why are my chicken nuggets not in the form of a dinosaur? Just give me my dino nuggets, whatever they're called. I don't know. I don't eat those. We haven't had young kids in the house in a long time either. I'll take their, I'll take their candy but not their chicken nuggets. They don't care. They're not downstairs. There's not one kid downstairs pacing the hallway worried about lunch. Because they trust you. They love you. And they're ready to receive from you, maybe even expecting it from you. But you know, God, he loves you far more than you love your own kids or your own grandkids. Or if you're single, your cousins, your nieces, your nephews. God loves you far more and you, know, you, can, you don't have to pace the halls worried about what tomorrow's going to bring or 
what's going to happen with that situation. Or I know it's hard and heavy. I don't minimize that at all. I got a few hard, difficult things in my life. It's always that way. But they just draw me to a deeper trust in the Lord. They draw me to a deeper rest. They draw me to a place where my ears will be in tune to him in a more focused way because I don't want to make things worse than they already are. And I can trust my father. And I can tell you, I'm not going to be pacing the hallways when you guys leave. I'm just going to jump in my car. After I'm done ministering, I'm going to drive home and I'm going to enjoy the Lord because he loves me and he loves you too. So see that you don't refuse the word. Be like Samuel. You can be like Eli or you can be like Samuel. It doesn't end very well for Eli, but it ends very well for Samuel. And that's what I want for my life and for our life together. Amen, church? So Father, thank you for this word and encouragement to us. It is such a sweetness to know that you care and that you still speak to us today, that you are intimate and close. You know, like Peter, Peter was wrestling with how to see people how to see the Gentiles. And what did you do, God? You showed up in a vision and you challenged his thinking and his theology. You challenged his beliefs and you spoke to him. You, you minister and led and guided him and he had to step out in faith to obey the vision and it blew his mind. And, and he loved, he had a new form love for Jews and Gentiles because you gave it to him. So I pray for us today, God. Let us have ears to hear what your spirit is saying as we learn to live on the solid foundation as everything's being shaken around us. Just wild days we're living in, Lord. But we, are, we, are, we, we are committed and loyal to you, God. And we trust you with our lives. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Let's stand together, church. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. Or visit us online at calvaryaurora.org. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.